Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to say I'm now joined on the phone all the way from America by Jerry Hunt. Jerry, are you well? I am. Thanks for asking. Not a problem. Now, you've got a new project uh, called The Dig 3, which we'll talk about very shortly, but let's introduce people to you. Um, you've been involved or interested in music from a very, very early age, from the notes I can see. Sesame Street got you <laughs> hooked on. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's a harmonica intro song, and uh, they were all they always had some hip tunes on in the background for the Muppets to dance to, so... Yeah, I, my mom says I used to dance in front of the TV and stuff, so. <laughs> yeah. Then, she also had this uh, LP uh, from Disney called Mouser Size that had, like, several of the funkier songs from Disney movies, and uh, I guess I used to groove to that one, too. Apart from Disney and Sesame Street, what were you listening to when you grew up? Uh, I mean, kind of just whatever was around the house, I guess. I didn't really have an active interest until I was in uh, middle school. I don't know what the equivalent is over there, but I, you know, one of the first cassettes I ever received as a gift was Michael Jackson's Thriller. And then also the original Broadway cast recording of Fame, but I didn't care for that very much. But uh, yeah, by the middle school, at a, I actually, you know, seeing as I'm being interviewed by a UK uh, journalist here, one of my first really, I like two different bands, um, Ian McCullough and The Cure, um, quite a bit. And uh, what fascinated me about The Cure was all of the um, guitar work and the guitar parts that those guys lay on their song. But when I um, when I first heard uh, Jimi Hendrix's The Wind Cries Mary at a school dance, it was all over. I, I, I delved into collecting all the Hendrix I could find, bootlegs, studio recordings, everything. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like now where you can just look that stuff up. I had to go to stores and do detective work and all that kind of stuff. And that was a lot of fun. But, mm. uh, and that's what kind of led me to the blues. You know, Hendrix um, obviously had a huge foundation in blues and R&B. Yeah. You went to see uh, John Hammond when you were about 12 years old, didn't you? Yeah, I won tickets from the local blues show and my parents dropped me off. And uh, it was a kind of a, a very transcendent experience. I'd never seen anybody perform live with that much fire and passion. You know, he was, he was charming. He was witty and it was, it was just great. You know, and he stomped his foot and played guitar and he played harmonica. So I think that's what kind of like ingrained the concept of a one man band in my mind. Well, this is one thing we've not actually mentioned it yet, that you are renowned as a one-man band, the the legendary one-man band that has got a minute <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't know if I'm legendary yet, but, you know, I kind of, in my travels and, and reading and research about one-man bands, like, they've always been about hyperbole. Uh, so when I released that album in 2015, I decided to, you know, indulge in that tradition a little bit, even though it's kind of contrary to my nature. And legendary seemed like a good way like a, a reasonable <clears throat> approximation of that tradition and, and not something other guys had already done. How long did it take you to learn 
the coordination that it obviously takes for that? Well, so I initially just started out, I mean, I guess it would have been around 2008, I started playing a little cafe in the town where I was living in Indiana at the time, just just with a bass drum to fill out the sound, you know, and then I eventually added on the hi-hat and, um, you know, got a little bit more ambitious and mounted a second pair of hi-hats to the side of the bass drum and another pedal to keep a little more time and then added a snare drum as well. So I was working with four, like, regular kick drum pedals and a snare tilted on its side. And at that time, I was even crazy enough to, like, bring out uh, a combo organ, too. So I was getting, like, cheesy Farfisa sounds. And <clears throat> and then uh, a, a buddy of mine hipped me to Ben Prestige, who's a, a great one-man band out of Florida. And he has this harmonica rig that's um, made from a beer koozie, you know, the, the little foam things you put around your beer in the summertime mm-hmm. to keep yep. it cool outside uh that was just wrapped around a mic with a sock stuffed in there and so that worked actually pretty darn well as far as a, an economical solution to that so eventually you know my setup kept getting more and more involved and it would take me at least an hour just to set everything up and that became kind of a drag <laughs> so so i kind of like backed off for it from a minute but then i discovered the farmer foot drum which is a completely integrated drum kit, all integrated into one unit. You know, bass drum, hi-hat, and snare at the time, as well as a, a shaker, like an egg shaker stick. Yeah. That cut my setup time, like, I don't know, 500%. Like, it only took me 10 seconds to unfold it and set it up. So that, you know, kind of renewed my interest for it and just kind of, you know, uh, leaned into developing the one-man band. Well, there's a, a Canadian chappy called Steve Hill that I interviewed a few years ago, and he does a one-man band type of thing. And when he recorded his album, he said he was aching for weeks after because he was using muscles <laughs> yeah. that you don't normally use. If, especially if you're, you know, playing, well, especially big stages, a festival set or whatever, and you're doing like, you know, 45 minutes and you just, you want to give your all and everything. It can be it can be exhausting. I mean, the other the other side of that is if like um, so we have a lot of open air markets in the summertime, like a lot of places do, and they often will hire music, you know, to create some ambiance. And um, those gigs, especially in the summer months when you're you know, when the temperatures are reaching, you know, um, into the I guess for your um, listeners would be the 30s. Mm. degrees celsius and above it, it can get you know pretty exhausting to be out in the sun for that long that's what we've been experiencing lately we've had a, uh, a couple of heat waves in recent weeks it's crazy weather but one advantage of having your one man band is you're not reliant on others you can just do your own thing can't you that's uh that's a really good point you know the drummer's never late and uh, it's really it's really easy to schedule a one-man band too like it's you don't i don't have to there's only one step involved like just looking at my calendar mm. instead of you know having availability surveys for bandmates or you know sending out text thread i mean the text thread to book a single gig is exhausting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it's when you're dealing with you know more than two people um so yeah, it's 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 very easy, and uh, but you know I do from time to time I do miss um, playing with bands a lot as much as I used to uh, before the pandemic, but um, you know I'm I'm still keeping active 
And as a matter of fact, I have a, a gig this weekend with a, a four-piece band. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, I was going to say, we've gone from your first interest into music to the one-man band. We've not touched upon the various other bands that you had played with in your college days and beyond. Mm-hmm. But you said it was around about 2008 when you started the One Man Band, but you recorded an album the year before, didn't you, since way back? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so back then I was touring with uh, Nick Moss and the Flip Tops. Um, Nick is now signed to Alligator. Yeah, I was steadily touring with that. And, I, yeah, at the time that I started the One Man Band, it was it was a way to kind of pass the time off off the road when we weren't traveling you know, and still be able to play some gigs around around home, um, just to make things easier. Uh, was that all original material then? Uh, no, I mean, I, I do, I, I would say at the time it was primarily covers, but I did, on my Bandcamp page, I have everything that I saw fit to release. And there's there are quite a few originals, more originals than covers on those recordings. But for the most part, I would say it was, it was covered. But traditional blues, classic blues, as a matter of fact, one of my favorite uh, recordings that's available on that page is um, a recording of a gig that I did with the uh, piano player Barrelhouse Chuck um, at just a little dive in Indiana. And uh, it was the first time we'd play together, just, you know, him with the uh, piano and Farkisa and myself with the one man band. And it just, it went, I, and I rolled tape on it and it went so well that I, you know, it's literally what you hear is the performance exactly as we played it like that is the first set exactly the way we played it so no no edits no nothing and it was super super fun although i admit when he uh, kicked off pine tops boogie woogie at a uh, a fairly alarming pace i got a little worried but <laughs> I, I i fought i fought my way through it um and uh, it, it, you know it's not so bad it's pretty good actually well we were saying about the the freedom that being a one-man band gives you that Mm-hmm. Must also include travel as well. So, have you been around much as the one man band? Uh, I would say that my activities have been mainly um, confined to the Chicagoland area. Um, going overseas is a little bit of a daunting proposition because I don't use just standard drums. I have to, I would have to ship over one of my uh, farmer foot drums. Although farmer is the guy who makes these things, and he's developed kind of a, a lighter weight model that I'm kind of, I have my eye on. So I'm not ruling out the possibility of, of any European travel with the one man band, but it's, uh, hasn't been totally feasible up to this point. Mm. Uh, although I did do a couple shows, uh, in, uh, January or December of this year, but, uh, I just brought over, you know, on a resonator guitar, played some harmonica and, and like a foot stomp box. So basically like just, you know, kind of a more John Hammond kind of a, a setup. Well, we've said that you you perform with bands and you do the one man mm-hmm. band. Which do you feel right. more comfortable in? I guess it depends on the day and the instrument. I mean, um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm very comfortable performing as a one man band. Um, and then you know when <clears throat> I'm I'm always comfortable playing with Nick. I'm always comfortable playing with. Um, Corey Dennison and any of the, the other Chicago guys and the cash box Kings or whoever that I've been playing with for years. Um, you know, it's <clears throat> sometimes when the music is a little more complicated, it's daunting, but in general, I don't, I don't have much, you know, stage anxiety or anything like that. I'm usually fine. And, 
in whatever situation. I mean, what I was thinking is when you're the one-man band, the spotlight is on you. But in yeah. a band situation, you can take a step back. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's that's very true. Um, yeah, even if even if I'm leading it, I can I can kind of like you know at times let the other guys do their do their own thing. That's for sure. But when I'm performing as the one man band, I, the last thing I'm thinking about is being nervous or people watching me because I'm dealing with so much other stuff, making decisions and just playing music, and I'm completely involved in it physically. So. Yeah, I don't really have time to be nervous or entertain any sort of thoughts that aren't conducive to playing music. Mm. As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, people always ask, you know, how do you do all that? How do you do all that at once? And, you know, I've developed a stock answer over the year, and it, because it's true, it's like the less I think about it, the easier it is. So yeah. if I can actually just clear my mind and let things happen, it's much a- easier to make decisions and i don't even know that i would even call them decisions it's more like impulse muscle memory um, yeah there's a lot of muscle memory involved that's true and um yeah just you know it's it's always it's always fun when something comes out that I, maybe i haven't played before or or something like that you know just kind of a happenstance improvisationally speaking yeah well you mentioned cory dennison there and in the notes <laughs> I noticed that you played Kingston Mines, and right. you used to do a residency there, didn't you? Yeah, we uh, we played every Monday and Wednesday for almost five years, uh, for when we were touring. But even even then, we would you know make it back on a Monday morning and play the Mines that night. Um, yeah, I mean it was it was quite a stint, and um, we released two records on Delmark together, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing like spending that much time with your instrument on a weekly basis to really get your chops up. I, I really became a much better guitar player, definitely more confident um, as a result of that residency. How long ago was this? Was this 2010s or? This, yeah, this. Well, this is this was so January. I think it was January of 2015 up until, of course, you know, March of 2020. Mm. I've spoken to a few people from the Chicago area in recent months, and everyone is sort of mourning the demise of the old blues clubs that you used to have there. You used to have mm-hmm. brilliant music virtually every night. You walk around the corner yeah. and there's great bands on. And that's gone yeah. to a large degree, hasn't it? Yeah, the mine is only open from uh, Thursday to Saturday now, just three days a week. Legends is closed Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, uh, the House of Blues isn't open seven days a week on a regular basis. So yeah, the 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 industry and the scene is still in a re- in a recovery mode. And basically, you know, it, it'll be a while yet. I mean, once once the conventions start coming back full force and people are less wary of new variants and you know all, all these other things. You know, then we might see a more a recovery that looks a little bit more complete, but it's going to be a while, I think. Um, yeah. That's not to say there isn't music on those nights in the city. It's just very few. Uh, for instance, uh, Roses is open on Tuesdays. They usually get a good crowd in there. So they're pretty much the only game in town. Um, the Green Mill has music seven nights a week, so you can always go hear, you know, Joel Patterson on a Monday or, you know, some trad jazz on a Tuesday. Mm. Yeah, but the op- there there is music still, and it's coming back. It's just fewer options than you- there used to be. Yeah. 
Coming up to date, your most yeah. recent project, the Dig Three. How did mm-hmm. how did this come about, and what's with the name, the Dig Three? <laughs> sure. So basically, um, Andrew Duncanson is a is a fantastic singer and guitar player. Uh, his main project for I think almost twenty years now is a band called Kilbourne Alley Blues Band, and they've released just album after album of great songs and singing and all original material uh we've been friends ever since i was with nick moss and um and then ronnie shellis i was friends with even before nick moss when i lived in colorado uh after university and he had moved to the same city uh same city that andrew lived in champaign illinois which is about two hours south of chicago all of us had done various like streaming events during the pandemic and we were talking one day and we decided, well, why don't we just do something, just the three of us on Ronnie's back porch. And, um, so yeah, we set it up, set it up, got the camera going and went live on it. And we had a really, really good time. And Andrew had some great original songs and yeah, we decided, well, why don't we just go in and record like this? I mean, it was so much fun and so easy. All of us get along, uh, really, really well. Like there's no friction or anything like that. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we just kind of almost, I guess you could say on a whim, just to say, well, why don't we just go in and record this stuff? And um, so we did. And, uh, you know, we were kicking around names for, for the band or whatever. And, you know, like it's it's a play. Well, it's, it's a play on like, you know, the big three. Like it's kind of a, an idiom that's used for in news reporting about corporations and all that. And also a nod to Willie Dixon's, uh, one of his, you know, big bands that he recorded, the, the big three trio. So we just decided to call it the Dig Three as like kind of a, a jive talking uh, update to that. Right. And in the notes, it says that uh, it's perfected by decades of house parties and honky tonks. So, <laughs> yeah. When, when you go to parties like that, do you always take a guitar and do you have a go to song? Uh, that's a really good question. No, usually, uh, I mean, unless, unless it's, uh, we're hired, uh, I'm hired for an event. I don't, I don't drag a, a guitar along in, but you know, if there's one there, uh, certainly I'm not opposed to picking one up and picking out a tune or two, I guess, you know, one of my things about, I don't really have what I would consider a signature song. I mean, I got people tell me they like certain songs of mine, but I just try to read the room, see what's, what's going on and see what people want to hear what I think people want to hear anyway. Mm. Yeah. So I can't really answer that question. I will say that, um, every show that the dig three have done together, we always open up the show with a Willie Dixon song called we, we baby mm-hmm. something. And we all sing it together, like in unison, not no harmonies or anything. And it's just as a kind of a touch point to get us all tuned up and together. And, and also for the sound guy, it makes it easy for him. If we're all singing, he can get us all balanced and, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I guess that's sort of a roundabout answer to your question. One thing that has been discussed on this show, and I've seen it on social media as well, is that some people regard the blues as losing its identity almost in recent years mm-hmm. because of the guitar slingers. And sure, you go against that with the sound that you're making. It's back to basics, rough house stuff. Yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, I didn't, I don't, I never really thought of it that way. It's, it's, it's basically 
as I see it, an extension of what I do as a one-man band with, because I don't, you know, I don't do the guitar slinger stuff or the rock and roll runs in the one-man band. The, the harmony and the rhythm all comes from the guitar. So I, I guess, I guess in terms of like, as an ensemble, um, we just, you know, we, we play in the old style because, I don't know, it feels good. <laughs> so it, quite it, frankly it wasn't a conscious decision to do that kind of thing that's just how it developed no yeah yeah absolutely like i play how i play and andrew kind of you know he does a lot of rhythm stuff and kind of fills in the, you know the same way that you know jimmy reed and eddie taylor interacted and then you've got like ronnie just kind of you know bubbling in and out where he where he hears it but yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of power and passion to be had in playing that way. It's just, it's more, I think it's a more of a rhythm-centered kind of a thing. And it could also be, um, as I'm kind of pondering it as we're talking about it, but, you know, uh, it's not like my foot drumming is terribly complex. So to play complex things over that would sound kind of weird. Like it's, you know, it's, there aren't a lot of fills, there's not a whole lot of mess going on so it seems it seems more appropriate to for the guitars and, and everything else to stay a little closer to the core groove i guess i do this in all interviews if you go back to the 1920s 1930s the old jug mm -hmm. bands simple right. musicianship but it made people happy yeah that's a really good point you know i mean uh i agree with that um yeah, it, you know, that was music for dancing and music for carrying on and carousing. And um, it, it wasn't like, I, you know, it's music for hearing, but I don't know if it's music. It's not necessarily for listening. It's music for experiencing. You know, it's supposed to do something to you physically, you know, rather than like an, appreci an appreciation for a technical achievement. It's more of a, uh, a catharsis. Yeah. Obviously, this album has only just come out, and you're enjoying playing this, but are you looking to the next one already? Well, Andrew's always got songs up his sleeve, and uh, actually, he just released a new single today uh, through DistroKid, and it's on Spotify with a friend of his. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's, he's still he's always writing songs, and sending little ideas my way. So I think that, you know, I, it's not out of the question. I don't think we're ready to go right back in there. But, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm always looking forward to the next one. I just don't know how soon it'll be. Well, I after the listen I've given to the album, I'm looking forward to the next one as well. So please, <laughs> please do another one. Um, it's Fair. been an absolute joy speaking to you, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. I really appreciate the call, and uh, good luck with all your work. Uh. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there, and there will be more as we record more for the show, and we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So, plenty more to come. And, of course, if you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.